Pulmonary infections. Which of the following is not an indication for surgical resection of a lung abscess? Significant hemoptysis, bronchopleural fistula, presence of mixed infection in the abscess cavity, suspicion of cancer, persistence of a four centimeter cavity after 12 weeks of treatment, which is not an indication. Okay, correct answer is three. So most of you got that. Doesn't matter what the infection is in the abscess cavity, but if you have some of these other things, then the indication is for surgery. All right, so let's start with lung abscess. That's a localized separative process that destroys the parenchyma. There's central necrosis of the lung tissue, and then it eventually communicates with the bronchus. So you get this partial internal drainage, and then you end up with an air fluid level. So this is an illustration that shows that. You have this ongoing pneumonia that destroys it and then forms the abscess cavity. Uh, four major causes of this, aspiration, that tends to be the uh, posterior segment of the right upper lobe or the superior segment of the lower lobes. It's usually mouth flora that cause this infection. Post-pneumonic, that's multiple, can be any segment after resec uh, involvement, staph and strep are the usual. Opportunistic tends to be multiple areas uh, of the lung in the hospital and wide range of bacteria and then bronchial obstruction. You get a neoplasm or foreign body and then you get infection and necrosis beyond that. Symptoms are those of infection, so fever, chills, productive foul-smelling sputum with a cough. Hemoptysis means there's been erosion of a little, uh, a little vascular connection on the bronchus, and it will partially empty, and their symptoms will get better, and then it will reaccumulate. Occasionally, have a patient with advanced abscess, and they get sort of a consolidation and local chest wall tenderness as it starts to approach the edge of the parenchyma. Again, everybody gets an x-ray looking for air fluid levels on those uh, plane films. The, you should obviously culture the sputum, see what's in there, and bronchoscopy to rule out neoplasms or foreign bodies in the appropriate patient. There's an air fluid level on a chest x-ray. Indication for surgery are five. So unsuccessful medical treatment after four to five weeks or however long you want to wait. And that's defined as a residual cavity that's thick wall, larger than about two centimeters, and they have persistent symptoms. You suspect there's underlying carcinoma. They have significant hemoptysis. They also have an associated empyema or bronchopleural fistula. The management is generally lobectomy. Segmentomy is often not possible because it can go across segments. Rarely do you have to do total pneumonectomy. Bronchiectasis is a condition where there is chronic dilation of the bronchioles and it can form in a saccular and or cylindrical format and you also have uh, infection and destruction of the parenchyma around it. It occurs in patients with selective IgA deficiency, primary hypogammoglobulinemia, and we talked about alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency in an earlier talk. The most common cause is actually acquired infections in childhood, so recurrent pneumonias, and that just destroys the, the supporting tissue. Uh, they get an endobronchial obstruction and distal infection. Occasionally, there's a genetic structural defect. And then you have cylindrical, saccular, and then mixed types. The clinical features for this are kind of like recurrent pneumonias, right? So they have these persistent coughs, they'll get better, they have persistent foul spilling sputum. Hemoptysis is pretty common in adults and rare in kids, unfortunately is rarely severe even in adults. The bacteriology is three, it's H, H flu, E. coli, and Klebsiella. The diagnostic finding that's characteristic is on chest CT where there's lack of bronchial tapering. So the bronchioles are dilated all the way out to the edge of the lung and they're thickened and bronchoscopy is helpful to manage these patients. So again, this is recurring pneumonias, destroys the structural 
integrity here of the bronchioles, and then you get these saccules and cylindrical dilation out to the periphery. Here's what it looks like on, on um, CT scan again, so you shouldn't see bronchioles all the way out here. All right, primary treatment's medical. So because it tends to happen sort of patchy formation, they're not usually candidates for surgery, so it's antibiotics as needed, bronchodilators, humidifi humidification. Operating patients that fail management, the ideal candidate is one that has isolated disease to one lobe. That's usually uncommon, um, but if it's a lower lobe that's isolated, that's a good candidate. Okay, empyemas. So half of these are secondary to pneumonias. The primary or predominant isolates that you'll get in these patients are staph aureus and enteric gram-negative bacilli. The second most common group, unfortunately, is post-surgical. So those are the patients where we've done a lung, mediastinal, or esophageal resection. Pneumonectomy in those patients has the higher rate of empyema up to 10 or 12 percent. And cultures fail to grow in about half of these patients because many of them have already been treated with antibiotics before you get any kind of culture out of the pleural fluid. How do you differentiate between a lung abscess? Well, it's a bit of a spectrum, right? A typical lung abscess would be nice and round. It doesn't go out to the chest wall. It's surrounded by lung parenchyma. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. CT scan can help you distinguish between that, can help you look at multiple loculations, best place to put pigtail catheters or other chest tubes, and then your effective therapy after you've tried to drain that area. If you've got a complex collection, loculations you can't get out easy, easily percutaneously, or it just doesn't get better after chest tube drainage, then, then we operate on these patients. So I'd be hard-pressed to tell you which one of these is a lung abscess and which is an empyema. I guess I could convince myself here that this is a, an abscess that's surrounded with a thick, thick wall here, and maybe there's parenchyma, but this one does go up to the chest wall. So, again, hard to know there. So it's a spectrum of development in an empyema, right, depending on how early you get after it. So it starts acutely with an exudative form, then transitions to the fibrinoperlant form, and then finally to the organizing chronic, and that can take anywhere to four to six weeks. Characteristics of an exudate in pleural fluid, so that's pleural fluid protein ratio to serum protein greater than 0.5, LDH ratio of 0.6, or the pleural fluid LDH is greater than the two-thirds upper limit normal LDH for your hospital's lab. Bacteriology, we talked about uh, most of these are staph or gram negatives. You can get some anaerobes in, in some patients. So who do we operate on and how do we do it? So if you get them early, which seems to be kind of uncommon in most people's practice, right, because they get a lot of antibiotic therapy and other treatments before we get to them. So if you get lucky, it's a, a chest tube. Often they'll come to us when they're in the fibula or stage, so most of those can be treated with VATS. And if they're really late in, in the organizing fibrotic form, they're skilled VATS surgeons, but often they'll need open thoracotomy and, and really formal decortication. Remember in children, empyemas can almost be, always be treated with antibiotics and repeat thoracentesis rather than more advanced surgical intervention. Okay, chronic empyema. So these are patients that have had this stuff for months, all right? So they've gone through multiple attempts to treat them and you just can't get this space cleared out. So they're treated with open drainage and debridement. This is called an LOS or flap. What you do is you cut out the, the rib at the bottom of this U-shaped flap and then you tack it to the pleura so they have an open space that you can just pack and drain and let it heal by secondary intention. Pseudomonas colonization is pretty common. Acetic acid will help with that. So this is the Ferguson Atlas, kind of shows how to do that. You cut out this rib and, and the, the uh, intercostal muscle that goes with it, open up the the cavity here and then then tack the skin there so you've got a flap and a cavity that you can pack and let it granulate in. 
Decortication can be successful in some of these patients the earlier you get at them in the chronic phase. Um, sometimes the underlying lung will just be absolutely destroyed, so you can do a combined lung resection. The longer that thing fibrotic process goes on, the more it's going to kind of shrink the ribs together, right? So you might have to cut out one or two ribs to actually get in there and, and get this cleared out. Occasionally, you'll have a patient where you can take out that whole empyema sac without getting into it, but that, that's pretty unusual. And usually what you get is something like this, right? It's just all this fibrous stuff, and you end up with this just horribly beat-up piece of lung underneath. Um, so, again, sooner you can get to them, the better. Let's move over to, to surgical empyema, so post-pneumonectomy empyema. This most common organism is Staph aureus. If you have multiple organisms that culture out, you have to consider an enteropleural fistula as part of this. You should suspect it after you've done the lung resection and they have spiking fevers, feel terrible, and x-ray shows some loculated stuff in there. It can be difficult to delineate from recurrent metastasis if you've done this for lung cancer, and especially if it occurs several months later. Initial treatment is balanced closed tube drainage until you fix that mediastinum and make it stable because you've got a big space there and you don't want to collapse everything at once. Open drainage with an LOS or flap is performed. Uh, you use your previous thoracotomy. You clean it out. Cultures are negative. Then you can close it primarily with an antibiotic solution. Success rates are variable. Uh, you know, these patients are pretty advanced, so they can be difficult to treat. So here's what that looks like, okay? So you've had a previously opacified uh, area over here. Now you've got a new air fluid level or some stuff that just looks kind of nasty like uh, a complex empyema. Uh, you can also consider thoracoplasty, so uh, you decide how many failed attempts you want to do at sterilization, two, four, six, I don't know, and then just say, look, I've got to obliterate that dead space there. So you can use muscle flaps, a thoracoplasty, or both. This is a pretty rough operation. Um, you usually perform it through the original scar, and then you kind of do a sloping resection. You know, you cut them off at the back and then just kind of slope them off in the front and then just kind of basically cave the chest wall in. You bend them down and, and attach them. And, it's pretty hard to totally collapse the cavity, so you will need to do drainage and probably put a muscle flap in there as well. So this is an illustration how you do that, depending on how big the space is that you have to kind of crush down into a huge thoracoplasty here and fill in the space. Bronchopleural fistula. So this occurs in all comers about 3% of patients after lung resection, most common after pneumonectomy. So two-thirds of the ones that occur will be after those patients. And it usually occurs within the first two weeks of operation. Clinical manifestations here are fever and sudden onset of continuous productive cough, right? You've got a communication into the bronchial tree. If you have a fluid drop of more than about two centimeters and the mediastinum shifts away, from your operative side or a stationary, you know, suspect a bronchopleural fistula if they have these uh, symptoms. And if it occurs later than that, you'll see a new air fluid level when it's previously been opacified. Now, if it's early on, you catch it during the hospitalization, just take it back to surgery. It's not great, but just get back there and, and fix it up. Um, everybody here probably does a pleural flap or a muscle flap, but if you didn't do it the first time, make sure you do it the second time. If it's later than that, you will often have an empyema. So you're going to have to drain that, close that, clean that up before you're going to be able to successfully close the fistula. So if you're not familiar with it, this is how you do a pleural flap. You put that over your bronchial closure to hopefully reduce the incidence of this condition. All right, so you've, you've done the operation, and that doesn't work. Uh, so your, your drainage has failed, and you're going to have to operate on them. So if they're ventilator-dependent, you've got to close the fistula and fill that space with something. If they're not ventilator-dependent, you might be able to just close the area, drain it, and, and let it heal in on its own. 
Don't forget about omentoplasty. That's a nice, nice thing to put in there that's uh, well perfused. And if you've got a, a long bronchial stump, you can also consider doing transpericardial closure of the bronchus to get into a clean field and hopefully uh, seal up that fistula. All right, management of a lung abscess, which has been unresponsive to prolonged antibiotic therapy, might include all of the following procedures except lobectomy, staged open drainage, standard chest tube drainage, intracavitary antibiotic installation, percutaneous drain placement. Pick the one that sounds the most crazy. <laughs> okay, so most of you got that. Has anybody done that? Taking a needle and put antibiotics in an abscess? I hope not, so that, that's not indicated. Lobectomy is obviously the best strategy. Other things have been, been used as well, but you certainly wouldn't inject antibiotics in it.